Just a lovely presence of God in the house this morning. Would you not agree with me? God is in the house. Friends, do you hear me? God is in the house. Amen. Amen. You know, don't know why I put them on for. Because I only put them on when I read my Bible. But you know, we're living in unprecedented days, aren't we? We're living in strange days. Would you not agree with me? You know, we're living in days where nobody has ever been before. You know, I think we are on no doubt this morning that we're living in the last of the last days. I, I don't think anybody would disagree with me in that statement. We're living in the last of the last days. When we, when we look at what's happening in our world today and we line it up, we line it up with the word of God, then I don't think there's any doubt, friends, any doubt, that we're in the last days of life upon this earth. You know, Jesus gives us signs that will characterize, characterize the whole course of the last days and that will intensify as the end draws near. You don't need to turn to it, but in Matthew 24, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, tell us, tell us when these things shall be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And Jesus answered them and, and, and said unto them, take heed, take heed, brothers and sisters, that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. And shall deceive many. You know, whenever we're out testifying on the streets, and people would usually ask you, How do you know? How do you know that we're in the last days? Usually, most of us would go to verse 6 of Matthew 24. For when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and nation, coming against, rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom and, and famines and pestilences or diseases and earthquakes. We, we all seem to quote that first. But friends, the first sign that Christ said will be, he said there'll be deception. There'll be a deception. And, and now I'm not preaching on this this morning. But it's just an outline. It's just an outline of where we're going this morning. He said, take heed. Take heed that no man deceive you. Just like away back in the garden, that old serpent, he deceived our first parents, Adam and Eve. So at the end of time, today, deception will be rampant across this earth. And friends, I think there's no doubt that we're living in days of deception. Is that not right? I mean, when you, when 
I mean, you just don't know who to believe now. This is the only thing we need to believe. <laughs> this is the only thing that we need to believe. You can't believe what's all what the government are saying. You can't believe what's being said on our TV screens or, or, or what the newspapers are saying. There just seems to be an error of deception everywhere. And then when you look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, false prophets and religious compromisers seem to be increasing more and more. I mean, you just, I don't really do it like, but you just need to go on to YouTube or Facebook or, or any of those media outlets or whatever. And they're everywhere. Is that, is that not right? They're everywhere. Deception is rife. You know, Christ is so concerned that his followers, that's you and me, be, be aware of the coming worldwide spiritual deception to occur just before the end. That he repeats it twice in Matthew 24. Do not be deceived. Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Do not be deceived. So we see the first sign of his coming is deception. He goes on to say that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences and, and, and that's just diseases and earthquakes in diverse places. My friends, please bear with me for a few minutes. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I am going somewhere with this. The Lord has laid a word in my heart to bring to you shortly, but, but it's in relation to what I'm talking about now. It's all in relation to what I'm talking about now. So just let me for a few minutes go through some of these signs with you. So firstly, we've got deception. We spoke about that. He goes on to say that you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. You know, I don't think there's ever been a time in, in the history of the world that there's ever been worldwide peace. But if you look at the history of wars in the world, you will notice that the number of wars have been increasing per century. They have increased dramatically. I'm going to throw out a few facts and figures and statistics here, so please bear with me. There was four wars from the year 1000 to 1300. By 1600 to 1700, there was 11. By 1800 to 1900, there was 33 wars. And by 1900 to the year 2000, there was 37 wars. And from 2000 to now, we've already had three wars. And friends, I'm not just talking about wee skirmishes, no. But I'm talking about major wars. Major wars where thousands and millions have died. He said that there'd be wars and rumors of wars. He said that nation would rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And you know what, you know what that just means? It means people fighting against people. Nation against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. You know that word nation 
is from the Greek root word ethnos. Ethnos or ethnic. And it means a group of people who are associated by some shared characteristic, whether geographical or familiar or tribal. And friends, surely that's all we've been seeing on our TV screens these last few years. Ethnic groups rising up against ethnic groups. People against people. Kingdoms against kingdoms. Nations against nations. Muslim against the Jew. The Sikh against the Hindu. The Sunni against the Shiite. The Catholic against the Protestant. The Serb against the Croat. North Korea against South Korea. Russia against the Ukraine. Black against white. Friends, it's happening. It's happening right before our very eyes. And then he goes on to say that there be famines and pestilences or diseases and earthquakes and diverse places. Do you know what a famine is? I looked this up. It says a famine is an acute episode of extreme hunger that results in excess mortality due to starvation or hunger-induced diseases. You know, the Bible is full of examples where famines have ravaged the land. The first famine mentioned in Scripture was so grievous that it, that it compelled Abraham to go down to the Philistine land of Egypt, Genesis 12 and 10. During the reign of King David, his land was ravaged by God with three years of pestilence and famine, killing 70,000 men, men of Israel, due to, due to David's sin of taking a census against God's command, 1 Chronicles 21. And as you go on through history, friends, as we go on through history, you find that famines have totally devastated or totally ravished many lands and many countries. The four famines of 1810, 1811, 1846 and 1849 are said to have killed no fewer than 45 million people. From 1850 to 1873, the population of China dropped. It dropped by 30 million people due to rebellion, drought and famine. The Great Chinese famine from 19, 1959 to 1961, which is widely regarded as the greatest famine in human history, killed 55 million people. I mean, friends, that's not that long ago. That's only 60 years ago. Even today, even today with, with all the great digital inventions and, and man's knowledge increasing more and more, Parts of the world stand on the brink of unprecedented famines. About 30 million people are experiencing alarming hunger and severe levels of food insecurity in countries like eastern Nigeria, southern Sudan, Somalia and Yemen today, right now, while you and I sit here this morning. That's happening in our world today. You shall hear of wars. And rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Friends, I know that I'm giving you a lot of facts this morning and a lot of statistics, but please stay with me. I am going somewhere with this. I am going somewhere with this. I'm just laying it out for you to let you see that God's word does not lie. 
His word does not lie. And that we are living, friends, that we're living in the last few moments of time. It says there will be pestilences and earthquakes. No, pestilences is another name for diseases or raging epidemic or pandemic diseases. You know, a lot of people think today that the world has never seen anything like this pandemic that we're experiencing now. But how wrong they are. Cholera, bubonic plague, smallpox and influenza are some of the most brutal killers in human history. My friends, remember the Bible says pestilences, plural, plural, not singular, but not one, but many, but many. But outbreaks of these diseases across international borders are properly defined as pandemic, especially smallpox, which throughout history has killed. How many do you think smallpox has killed? It's killed 300 to 500 million people in the world. Let me give you a list of some of the most devastating pestilences that have ravaged this world right up until this present day. In 165 AD, there was the Antonine Plague, which killed 5 million people. This plague was brought back to Rome by Roman soldiers returning from Mesopotamia. That's the Holy Lands. That's the Holy Lands. You know, maybe God has something to do with that. Then in 541, 542, there was a Justinian plague which killed 25 million people. That again happened in the Holy Lands and in Constantinople, which at its height, it was killing 5,000 people every day. Think of that. 5,000 people dying every day. Then in 1346 to 1353, you had the Black Death, which killed 75 to 200 million people that ravaged, that swept right across Europe, into Africa, and right into Asia. In 1889 to 1890, you had the flu pandemic, which killed over a million people. In 1918, you had another flu pandemic, which killed 20 to 50 million people all over the world. In 1956 to 1958, there was the Asian flu which killed 2 million people. And in 2005 to 2012, you had the AIDS pandemic. The AIDS pandemic, which killed 36 million people. And now, in 2019, 2020, right until this present day, we've got the COVID-19 pandemic, which up to now has killed over 700,000 people. And who knows where it's going to end? Who knows what the figure will be at the end? Friends, hear me. Hear me very clearly this morning. We're living in the last days. We are living in very, very strange days. We're living in prophetical days. It's, it's happening right before our very eyes. You know, Matthew 24, 7 also talks about earthquakes. And you know, friends, I could ream off, ream off a whole list of happenings of earthquakes right from the start of this world right up until now. It would bore you with facts and figures. But I'm not going to because I think you're getting the picture. I think you know what I'm trying to say. Friends, we're living in the last days. Jackie, would you agree with me? 
Tommy, would you agree? We are living in the last days. Scripture is probably almost fulfilled. We quite possibly could be that last generation. I'm not saying we will be, but I'm saying we quite possibly could be that last generation before the Lord's return. But friends, knowing all that, knowing all that, knowing what we've read in our Bibles, knowing what has happened right throughout the centuries of time, right up until now. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter 3? Second Peter three. And we're going to start our reading at verse eight through to fourteen. And Peter says this. And he's speaking to the church. Friends, he's speaking today. You know, this word is relevant for today. This word it's, up to, it's more than up to date than the newspapers that are going to be printed tomorrow. It's more than up to date than the news which is going to be read tonight. Peter says this in verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. He then says in verse 11, Seeing them, seeing them, that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Very, very sober words this morning. Verse 11 says, Seeing them, knowing that all these things are going to come to pass, knowing that all these things have, have happened, and will happen. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. Seeing that the Lord is about to return. Seeing that this earth is about to be burnt up. He says to us. Then what manner. Then what manner of persons. 
ought ye to be in all holy and all conversation and godliness. And verse 14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. You know, I suppose the obvious question, first of all, to start with here is, are you looking for the Lord's return? Are we looking for the Lord's return? Have you got one eye in the sky looking and expecting to see the Lord Jesus burst through those clouds with a whole host of his angels? Or friends, are you looking at things you shouldn't be looking at? Are you looking at things you shouldn't be looking at? You know, Titus 2 and 13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, is there an expectation in your heart that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is about to burst through those clouds? Have you got that expectation? Does, does that do something to you? That, Lord, you're going to call very, very soon. You know, I heard a famous preacher say just the other day that we're living, Garrett, we're living in the last few seconds of time. You know, I got saved over 30 years ago. And back then, whenever preachers were preaching, especially messages on end times, they said if, if the Lord was coming back at 12 p.m. at midnight, at midnight, then the time clock in heaven was reading 5 to 12. That was 30 years ago. Now, we're talking just a few seconds. Now, we're talking just a few seconds to 12. Friends, hear me this morning. Time is short. Time is short. Unsaved in this house this morning. Time is short. Time is short. You may think that you've got all the time in the world, but believe me, God is about to call time on this old world. That trumpet is about to sound, and the Lord is about to return for his bride. Matthew 24 and 44 says, Be also ready for such a time as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Backslider this morning, unsaved in this house this morning. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. But you know what? Ready or not, he's coming. Ready or not, he's coming. Then shall be two in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Friend, if you're not ready, Friend, if you're not ready, then you're going to be left behind. You're going to be left behind, abandoned to God's judgments for all of eternity. Friend, you need to be ready. 
You need to be ready. But believer this morning, and I'm talking to the saved this morning. I'm talking to the believers in this house this morning. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner? What manner of persons ought we to be? What manner of persons, Peter says, ought we to be? You know, Peter wrote this letter to those believers that were scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He exhorts them. He exhorts them to diligently pursue godliness and a true knowledge of Christ. He warns them. He warns them to be in their guard that they may not be led away with the error of the wicked and to grow in the grace and in the knowledge and in the love of Christ. He says in verses 3 and 4 of Second Peter that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And friends, as there was then, so there is now scoffers, scoffers, mockers, questioning not only the very deity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but questioning even the very promise of his coming. And I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have experienced that at one time or another when we've been out in those streets evangelizing. Where is the promise of his coming, they say? Sure, they've said that for ages. They said that he was coming back soon, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and still he hasn't returned. Sure, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. The sun rises in the morning. It sets in the evening. People are being born and people are dying. What's changed? What's changed, they say? But friends, you and I know much has changed. Much has changed. Prophecy is being fulfilled. The word of God is literally being played out right before our very eyes. So no matter what the scoffers may say, no matter what they may think, friends, we know that God's word is true. We know that God's word is true and it cannot lie. No, we need to do. We just need to keep our eyes on him. We just need to keep our minds and our hearts fixed on him, fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul said in, in Philippians 4 and 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, then think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Friends, hear me, it's only those minds that are stead upon him, stead upon the great Jehovah, that'll get through these, these last days. But seeing, but seeing then that we are living in the last of the last days, Friend, I ask you again, what manner of persons ought we to be? 
You know, friends, this world isn't our home. This world is not our home. We're just passing through it. This world is going to be dissolved and burnt up. But the, the, but the question the apostle is asking us this morning is, if you know these things, and you see these things, then what manner of persons ought you to be? You know, friends, it's a very serious question. It's a very personal question. But it's a very important question. It's probably not a question that would be asked in many churches today. Many probably would be offended at such a question. Many could possibly even be hurt at such a question. Many could probably even leave the church over such a question. But friends, it's a question that needs to be answered. It's a question that needs to be answered by every single follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put up your hand if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs to be answered, not only in, in word, not only in thought, but in deed. Especially as we see that day approaching. Now friends, hear me this morning, I'm not talking legalism. I'm not talking legalism. God forbid that I should talk legalism. For legalism kills. Legalism destroys. Legalism wearies. Friends, legalism brings death. But friends, I'm talking something more than that. I'm talking about something that's off the heart. Something that's off the heart. A desire that wants to please God in every area of our lives. A desire that wants to be ready when he returns. Just like those virgins. A longing, friends. A longing that lies deep within us. That wants more and more to be like Jesus. Hands up who wants to be like Jesus. I know I do. To be like Jesus. For you see, friends, Jesus made a difference in this world. And if we want to make a difference in this world, then we got to be more and more like him. we got to be more and more like him. What manner, what manner of persons ought we to be? Romans 13, 11 and 14 says this. And that knowing the time, we know the time, don't we? And that knowing the time, that now is at high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in ratting and in drunkenness. Not in chambering and wantonness. Not in strife and envying. But he says this. He says these lovely words. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust there is. There, there is. Friends, there it is. There it is in that last verse. I mean, there's about a hundred sermons in those, those four verses. 
But I just want to zero in in that last verse. I just want to zero in, especially in those first seven words. But put you on. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, what manner? What manner of persons ought we to be? Oh, friends, if we could only put on Christ. If we could only but put on Christ, then we would be the the persons that Christ wants us to be. If we would put on Christ, this world, friends, would be turned upside down. This world would be turned upside down. You know, the ancient Jews frequently used the phrase, putting on the Shekinah. Putting on the Shekinah or, or divine majesty. And that was to signify the souls being clothed with immortality and rendered fit for glory. And friends, how we need the Shekinah glory to overshadow our lives. How we need the Shekinah glory to, to overshadow us. If it was, then can I tell you, you and I would make a difference in this world. You and I would make a big difference in this world. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ means to imbibe his principles. It means to imitate his example, to copy his spirit. It means to take him as a pattern and guide, to obey his precepts and to become like him. To become like him. What was he like? What was Jesus like? He was pure. He was temperate. He was chastened, he was peaceable, he was meek, he was mild, he was humble, he was patient, and he was holy. And friends, I'll be very honest with you, I wish I could say that I was all of those things, but I'm not. I'm not. I want to be, but I'm not. Well, friends, what manner? What manner? Of persons ought we to be. To be like Christ, then first we must know Him. We must know Him. The Apostle Paul said to the Philippians in 3 10 11, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. You know, if you read all of Philippians 3, you'll see three things that the Apostle Paul desired most of all in his life. The first is found in verse 8 where he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count myself, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ that I may win Christ. Everything he had accrued in his life, everything that he had gained in his life, he counted it all but dung. He counted it all but loss so that he could win Christ. So that he could win Christ. I mean, it's a strange thing to say from a man who was well saved and born again. That I may win Christ. The second is found in verse 9. In fact, at the start of verse 9, and Paul, he says this, and be found in him. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness 
which is of God by faith. And the third was what I said a few minutes ago, that I may know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Friends, these verses show the apostle's heart and the essence of his faith. Paul's greatest longing was to know Jesus Christ more intimately and to experience his personal fellowship and nearness in a greater measure. To win Christ. To win Christ means to gain or acquire a larger knowledge of Christ. Not a head knowledge. God, deliver us. Deliver us from head knowledge. That's all Northern Ireland knows. Head knowledge. Deliver us from it. Not an educated knowledge, no friends, but a heart knowledge. A heart knowledge to win Christ. To know him more intimately and to experience his closeness in a deeper way. To be found in him is to be united in close fellowship with Christ and to be a partaker of his righteousness. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Friends, I'm found in him and now I'm alive in him spiritually. Spiritually. And friends, to know him. To know him. Is more than merely to know a doctrine about him, but it is to be fully acquainted with his nature, his character, and his life. His life. To know him is one of the highest objects of desire in the mind of a Christian. Friend, I ask you this morning is that your desire? Is that your desire? To know him. To know him and to be like him. Friends, what manner? What manner of persons ought we to be? Ephesians 3 and 19 says this. And to know the love of Christ was passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And friends, surely, surely this morning that must be the heart and cry of every believer in this room especially as we see that day approaching that we would be a church filled with the Holy Ghost walking in the Spirit that our lives would radiate Jesus that the fullness and glory of the Lord would be in the midst it would be in the midst that signs and wonders would follow the preaching of, of his word just like last week when, when Ronnie testified the word went forth and after he was touched and he was healed a miracle friends signs and wonders following the preaching of his word amen friends but you know there's so many voices there's so many voices so much so much conflict the fake is being mixed with the real and believe me friends that world out there can spot a fake mm-hmm. I'm telling you that world out there they can spot it a mile off and now they're trying to shut the church up they're trying to dim the lights and make it of none effect but friends I'll tell you this morning the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ friends Jesus is the light of the world and he shines brightly in the midst of this COVID pandemic friend I ask you will you allow him to shine through you will you allow Christ to shine through you You know, the answer for this world is Jesus. The answer for COVID is Jesus. The answer for the drug addict, the alcoholic, 
The lost is Jesus. The answer for the religious is Jesus. The answer for this hour is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would rise up and put on Christ. That we would rise up and put on Christ and be filled and led by the Holy Ghost. Friends, it's time to take back ground. What, what is that song we used to sing years ago, Patricia? We're going to take back what the devil has stole from us. Friends, we need to take back. We need to take back. We need to take back ground that that devil has stolen on us. It's time to make a stand. And having done all to stand, then he says, stand. Stand in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. Friends, it's time to let the joy of the Lord flow out. Flow out of our innermost being. Friend, are you, are you willing? Are you and I willing? Are we ready to rise up? Are we willing to put off and to put on Christ? You know, friends, that world out there aren't looking to hear another sermon. They're not looking to hear another sermon. But they're looking to see a demonstration of the Holy Ghost in these fearful days. Would you not agree with me? They've, they've had sermons to the full. But friends are looking to see a demonstration of God in the midst of his people. And that's you and me. You know, Paul not only wanted to know Christ, but he wanted to know also the power. My God, the power of his resurrection. He wanted to know more, more of that power that raised Jesus from the dead so that he could minister the gospel with power and life. And friends, that has to be the heart of all of us Christians today, to be able to minister this gospel with power and with life. No, friends, anything else is just dead religion. Jeff, it's just dead religion. God, it's just dead religion. Friends, I'll be honest with you this morning. I need that power. I need that power. I have experienced that miraculous healing power in my life when he healed me of that cancerous tumor. Friends, I want to be able to do the same. That might be a very big statement to make, but I want to be able to do the same. I want to be a vessel that he can work through and use through, not for my glory, but for his glory. Forget about me, 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 or I, I, but for his glory. That's probably part of the problem of the church today. We're just looking at ourselves. It's all about me and them and you and us, but it's all about him for his glory. After all, did Jesus not say in John 14, He that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works, greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Friends, it's Jesus' desire that his followers, that you and I, do the works that he did. And greater works, what is those greater works? Well, they include both the work of converting people to Christ and the performing of miracles today in the year 2020. Friends, we need to be filled full of the Holy Ghost and power. We need to be filled full of the Holy Ghost and power. Nothing else is going to cut it in these last days. <laughs> I saw it. Nothing else is going to cut it. 
You know, the media say that we're in the new norm. Today we're in the new norm. Face masks, gloves, social distancing. That's all the new norm. I hope it ends very, very soon. But that's what the new norm is. But friends, as the church of Jesus Christ, the norm is that we be a people filled with the Holy Ghost and power. The norm is that we be a people filled, full of the Holy Ghost and full of power, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, and seeing men and women gloriously saved from their sins. Friends, the norm is, the norm is for a New Testament Pentecostal church is that we be like Jesus. Is that you and I be like Jesus. So friends, as I come to a close this morning, I ask again, what manner of persons ought you to be? What manner of persons ought you to be? Friends, we need him. We need him. More than ever before in these days, we need him. We need to be filled. We need to be unctioned. We need to be led of the Spirit. The wee chorus says, to be like Jesus, to be like David, Jonathan, would you come? Jillian, please. The course says, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him all through life's journey, from earth to glory. All I ask is to be like him. Is that your desire this morning? Is that your desire this morning? What manner, what manner of persons ought we to be? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.